Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. We are in a, a new section uh, of the book of Matthew. Uh, now, uh, the new section sort of starts in chapter 10. So you're going to hear me say in, in Matthew chapter 10 a lot, even though uh, if you're paying attention, our passage today starts with the end of chapter 9. I don't know if you knew this. This is a fun fact to know and tell about the Bible. But did you know that the numbers, like the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, those weren't like written in the original text, right? Did you know that? So we, we added them later to help with organization. But those, like, we believe that the, the word of God is inspired, meaning that it's his words given to us, right? But the numbers, not so much inspired, all right? Those are, those are human numbers. And maybe in this case, the numbers are a little bit off. Um, I'm not sure, but that's how most commentators seem to see it. So we're going to start at the end of chapter 9. But uh, chapter 10 is a sermon, okay? So we, we had a sermon before from Jesus, right? In Matthew 5, we had the Sermon on the Mount. And so again today, we're gonna be starting a new sermon. So we had sermon in chapter five, and then chapter uh, six and chapter seven, it was a, a three chapter sermon. And then after that, Jesus came down from the mountain and he started healing people, right? We saw 10 miracles in chapter eight and chapter nine. And so now we're going back into another sermon and today's, today we're starting uh, a four-part mini-series in the book of Matthew uh, on mission. Jesus and his mission. So anyway, uh, we're starting a, an another like spoken part. These are red letters. If you have one of those Bibles that have red letters, these are like red, this is a red letter section. For the next four weeks, we'll be in this sermon on mission. And then after that, verses, uh, I'm sorry, chapters 11 and 12, get us back into more of Jesus' deeds. So it's a similar pattern. Sermon followed by deeds of Jesus. This sermon is about the mission that's before us, Jesus' mission. It says in uh, verse 35, uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. If you've been with our church long enough, you may recognize that phrase. In uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, the same phrase is given. Uh, the idea that Jesus went around teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing. This is, this is how Jesus did his ministry. He preached the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He taught in the local synagogues and explained the kingdom of heaven. And he healed, bringing physically the reality uh, of his kingdom. So in this way, Matthew's Jesus, he's a teaching and a touching Messiah. He teaches and he touches. I love this about Jesus. He didn't just come to proclaim. He didn't just come with word. He didn't just come to change something on the inside of us. He, he has something really physical and tangible to bring to our lives. He's both a teaching and a touching Messiah. So we see Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and then now this repeated phrase, they form a bit of a parenthesis 
around this old section, right, or this last section, I should say, and a new section that we're entering, right? So when you read the Bible, they use a lot of different um, literary devices, literary cues that were unique, perhaps, to ancient, like, writing styles. So this is one of the ways that we can pick up on themes and, like, movements of the Bible is to pay attention to these things, okay? So this is like a parenthesis, these similar phrases, that the fact that Jesus came to preach, teach, and heal, all right? So anyway, uh, we're going to talk about mission. Today we're going to talk about four sources of mission. We're going to talk about the fuel for mission that Jesus gives us. Uh, next week I've got a friend coming. Some of you know David Jansen. He's going to come and teach uh, on the instructions for travel uh, because there was a lot of traveling going on in uh, Jesus' mission, a lot of walking, right? So there's some travel instructions in the next little chunk. And then uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about how to handle the troubles that come when you're on mission. And then lastly, we'll kind of round out the summer uh, studying uh, the trust that we need to have uh, for mission. So travel, troubles, and trust, those are the, uh, the parts to come in this little mini-series. But anyway, here we are, Matthew, nearly, chapter 10, and we see Jesus doing his thing. Uh, he's, he's this itinerant evangelist doctor, right? Roaming around. Remember, he's homeless, <laughs> evangelizing. Uh, I, I saw a guy, uh, there's, there's a church uh, near school where I work, and I saw this guy pull up in this big old motorhome. And uh, I learned that this guy was like the evangelist. He's like a traveling evangelist who makes his living. They still have those. Did you know that? Like traveling evangelists that kind of travel around uh, preaching revival and, uh, and just kind of collecting whatever they can, living off of that. This guy was living in a motorhome. That's crazy, right? So this, Jesus was an old school evangelist. He's itinerant. He's traveling around. He was homeless, roaming around, preaching the gospel. But he's also a doctor, like part doctor as well. So it's like Noah, but way better, you know? So Jesus, uh, he, he, was, he was going around, it says, from towns and to villages. Towns and villages. Uh, I was pretty stoked to read that. Because we got ourselves a little village here, don't we? You know, Jesus didn't just spend his time in the cities. He walked around, even to the villages. Even the things that seem insignificant to us are significant to Jesus. Jesus cared about small towns, even small towns like Exeter. There's a, there's a big church planning wave uh, to reach big cities, right? That's like, there's some church planners like Tim Keller, namely believes in reaching cities because what happens in cities tends to ripple out. And, and that's all good and well, but God called us to Exeter and he called Jesus to the little villages, not just the big towns. That's really cool. Things that seem insignificant to us were significant to Jesus. So here's Jesus. He's walking around in his sandals. He's teaching. He's proclaiming the good news and he's healing, right? Um, and I found this really interesting. Do you know that the Greek word for healing is like, it, I'm going to butcher it, but it's, it's thera, therapu or therapiao, okay? You can check me on that. I, I, the pronunciation escapes me. But the idea, you see that therapeutic, right? The Greek word for healing is, is like tied to this idea of therapy. And, and this is how it is if we're going to be workers on mission with Jesus. We'll seek to relieve every human misery that we encounter. This is part of what it means to be a worker. See, all human pain is mission material, Jesus came not just for our hearts, he came to heal. I love that about Jesus. He's so tangible. He's not just esoteric, caught up in the clouds. You know what I mean? He has a real tangible component to his ministry. He was an itinerant evangelist, but he was also a, a doctor. Jesus was amazing. 
Anyway, in this passage, Jesus is going to teach us about four sources of fuel for mission. They all start with C, uh, not because he said so, but because I said so, to help you remember. Four C's, four mission fuels that we're going to look at today. Uh, Starting in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Coop, you can go to the next slide and then just leave it up. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This word compassion, uh, it's actually a very powerful word. Uh, The Latin root is uh, cum passio. Cum passio. It literally means to suffer with. Compassion. To suffer with. This is the emotion that Jesus felt for the crowds as he looked out over them. I, I found it uh, interesting to reflect, or very powerful, moving, to reflect on the idea that mission is not motivated by Jesus' disgust for people. Sometimes we can focus on the sin, right? We can focus on what's wrong with the world, and oh, those people, they need Jesus because they're disgusting me, right? And sin can be disgusting, right? I don't think it's altogether wrong, but Jesus uh, isn't motivated primarily by his disgust for people because they're such sinners, That's not what we see here. His mission is motivated by his care for hapless people like you and like me. It says that these people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, There's a pastor that I follow on Twitter, um, which I think instead of like quoting pastors out of books, I'm just going to quote pastors from Twitter from here on out. Uh, Anyway, uh, Pastor uh, Rich um, Velotas. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that name either. I'm struggling with my pronunciations. I was taught in preaching you just got to go strong with your pronunciations, and I'm fouling it up today. Anyways, uh, Rich Velotis. Um, he said this on Twitter this week. He said, it's a really curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you're trying to bring to Jesus. Isn't it really curious that we start hating on people that we're trying to bring to the loving Savior? I was really convicted by that. I was like, dang, that's so true. Jesus didn't disgust the people. He looked out on the crowds and he had compassion because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes in our zeal against sin, uh, we start to hate not just the sin, but the sinner. Have you heard that phrase? Hate the sin, not the sinner, right? I grew up with that phrase in Sunday school. Hate the sin, not the sinner, but, but we can be really prone to start hating the sinner and not just the sin, We get disgusted, we get frustrated, we become enemies with. But this was not Jesus' way. Remember, he had compassion on them, right? Cum passio. He suffers with us. This is the Savior that we follow. The man who comes to suffer with us. He suffers with us because he cares about us. Mission isn't primarily the act of uh, disciples cleaning up the world or bringing it to task. It's it's the act of disciples compassionately helping people out. It's the act of disciples compassionately helping other people out. See, if sin, uh, again, and sin is bad, right? I'm not here to say that sin's okay, that we should should tolerate it, that we should be okay with it, that we should be friends with it. But if sin becomes an overemphasis of our mission, it will smother compassion. Jesus sees our suffering, not just our sin. Principle number one of mission, Jesus feels for people. 
He feels for people. We have to, if we're going to be like Jesus, learn to identify with the suffering of others. We must care about people. we got to realize that the way to serve is to suffer with those whom we serve. So a question uh, that comes from this passage is, what is it that's oppressing these people? So Jesus describes these people, or Matthew describes these people, uh, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So what's oppressing these people? I think there's two things, namely, that's oppressing these people. Two things that causes oppression in our lives. Because if we're honest, we're like those crowds, aren't we? I think we could say, Jesus could come here and, and look out on these crowds in our community and say, these people are help, uh, harassed. They're helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So what's oppressing us? I think first we have a lot of lies coming from the secular world. The secular worldviews, like infiltrated, right? We've got plenty that we could name this morning. And, and maybe you've all got your hot button issue, I'm sure. But there's plenty of lies coming to us, whether, whether it be through gender politics, different ideas about sexuality, or a phrase I, I learned this week uh, in a book that I'm reading. I do read books, too. Uh, expressive individualism. This idea that, uh, you know, our, our cultural ethos is that you're allowed to express whatever you feel on the inside. It sounds all good and well, but is that really, like, godly? Is that really how we ought to live, just doing whatever we feel like doing? You know, but this is one of the lies that our culture comes to us with. We've also got the good old-fashioned materialism, right? That's still uh, alive and well. Or uh, the American dream. That's what we call it to make it sound nice. It's really just successism. There's also pluralism, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of other isms. There's all kinds of secular lies that promote ideas that are ungodly, unbiblical, destructive. Also, and, and, and this is especially true of Jesus' time and place, there's leaders around who, are, who had put an unnecessary burden on the people, hadn't they? So they were, not just, uh, they were not just oppressed by the lies of secular life. They were literally oppressed by leaders, religious leaders, who had placed an unnecessary burden on them, right? Rules upon rules upon rules. Separatism, scrupulism, legalism. Secular lies are one thing. It's hard to navigate secular lies. But spiritual oppression, it's probably worse, is it not? I mean, what's worse than being led the wrong way by the guy that's supposed to be your leader, that's supposed to care for you, that's supposed to be a spiritual director? See, the crowds in Jesus' day, they were terrified by their leaders in God's name. They were terrified by their leaders in God's name. This was the culture of religiosity that was prevalent. It's friendly fire, isn't it? It's a spirit of control, manipulation. These people were walking around oppressed, by spiritual leaders. They'd been loaded with scruples, which just means like little rules, and prohibitions instead of grace. There was no grace. Listen, uh, Jesus' commands, while challenging, they free us from dumb rules. They don't bind us to dumb rules. Jesus' commands, while challenging, they set us free. If you don't feel free, you might ask yourself, are you living by rules or are you living by grace? See, we got to take off the yoke of a religion uninformed by the grace of the royal Jesus. And instead, we need to take on the yoke of a religion formed by the commands of a gracious Jesus. He's gracious. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus' burden is light, not heavy. 
the spiritual leaders in this day, they had burdened the people. They were oppressing the people with a really, really heavy yoke. <clears throat> so Jesus, he, he wasn't anti-sin, but he certainly was not anti-sinner. He looked upon the crowds and he had compassion upon them. And this compassion fuels the mission that he's called us to. So it says that the crowds are full of the harassed and helpless. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do with all these people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Verse 37 and 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what do we do? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We've got to call out. This is what Jesus is teaching us. We've got to call out in prayer to the Lord of the harvest. Notice, the harvest is huge, but the amount of workers is few. There's a gap, and that's a problem. Huge harvest. There's a lot of people to bring in, to gather into the family of God, but the workers are few. Again, huge problem. It makes the scene look really bleak. You guys, I will tell you, in Exeter, there's a huge harvest. The harvest is enormous. There are so many people in the crowds living lives that are harassed and helpless. Think about it. I, I did the math, an estimate. Maybe on a Sunday morning in Exeter, there's like 750 people attending churches in town. Like right now on a Sunday morning in Exeter, maybe about 750 people. Plus another you know, group of people that go to Visalia for church. You know, we've got 1,000, maybe if you stretch it, 1,500 people on a Sunday morning, a part of a family of God. And this town is small, but that still leaves a lot of people left, right? There's, there's 9,000 plus people in Exeter who aren't a part of God's family. So the harvest is huge, you guys. It's super huge. But Jesus offers a solution. What do we do with this big gap between the harvest, a huge harvest, and few workers? We pray. We call out to him, the Lord of the harvest. It reminds me, chapter 7, you ask, you seek, you knock, you persist in prayer. Unless you get tired, hey, big news this week, right? Uh, and I don't, again, I don't talk a lot about politics, but something positive happened this week in politics. Uh, there's been some movement, has been regained against abortion law, right? And uh, you, you know, people, and I remember as a kid growing up in the pro-life movement, People have been praying for years and years and years and years. You guys, we've got to be willing to ask. And we can't give up when we don't first get what we're looking for. So we got to seek and we got to knock and we got to persist. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The harvest is huge. There's few workers. So go to the Lord of the harvest and you ask him. You got to call out and the Lord of the harvest will provide. Mission is fueled by prayer, you guys. It's fueled by prayer. We have to call out. Where there is prayer, there is mission. Where there's little prayer, there's little mission. Where there's no prayer, belief has died altogether. We've got to be a people of prayer. I felt so convicted of this this week, you know? Last, uh, last summer when we got our, our you know, guns blazing, ready to see this church established, well, that was one of the first things that we did. We were meeting in the park to pray, we were praying a lot. We prayed over this building. And man, I have just noticed a bit of a drift as we've gotten busy doing ministry. And I want to call us back to be a people of prayer. 
Like, we're going to figure it out. It's hard. We'll, we'll contend for it. It won't always be comfortable, but we're going to be a people of prayer because where there's prayer, there's mission. See, prayer is the belief that God can, right? Just like we heard from these blind men. Do you believe that I can do it? Yes, Lord. Amen. That's the faith that we need. Faith is the mother of prayer, the belief that God can. We go to the Lord of the harvest because he can. Prayer is the mother of mission, you guys. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's fight for it. Will you guys join me? Will you fight to be a people of prayer? Because I need friends. I fall asleep most often when I pray by myself. I need friends to pray with. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's go to the Lord of the harvest because he can. All right, so back to these workers. So one of the things you should appreciate about these workers that uh, Jesus is talking about is that they're not necessarily highly skilled spiritual entrepreneurs. I know so many of us can feel like, wow, well, I see the need, but I don't know what to do. Like, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know how to say prayers. I don't have scripture memorized. Jesus is not talking about like a white-collar worker here. This is a very blue-collar analogy that he's given, right? These are essentially farm laborers. These are not highly skilled. Some of you are like, I just started coming to church. I haven't been to church in a long time. I just met Jesus. You can be a worker. You can be a worker. Notice they're gatherers. The type of work that's needed is gathering, you guys. Here's why. Because the work, the main work of the harvest has already been accomplished. Jesus has already brought salvation. He's done all the hard work. All we need to do is go out in the field and gather. The main work has already been done. Also notice it's not a request to like find workers as if where might they be? Huh, I wonder, where are all the workers? And I, I again, confession, I've thought this to myself, like, Lord, bring really talented ministers to this church so that, you know, I'm not the only one or so that I can have help. Again, it's not a search for workers. The workers are right here. It's a sending out into the community. You're all the workers. That's what I'm trying to say. You're all the workers, whether you're here for the first time or you're here for the 20th time or the 1,000th time, we're all the workers in the harvest of gathering. He's the one that did the real work. All we need to do is gather. There's a harvest, you guys. We just need workers, people uh, committed to the mission. Now, lest you feel that you don't have what it takes, because that is a very real feeling. But what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Let's take a look at the next part. So now we're actually in chapter 10. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. What did he give them? Authority. He gave them authority. Did they have it before? No. He gave them authority. This is Jesus, the giver of good gifts. We call these gifts in fancy language charisma. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. You know, we, we often use it to, to speak about somebody who's gifted, talented, has like personality, right? It comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. Gifts of grace. Do you earn grace? No. You get given grace, right? Jesus gives us the gifts that we need to do the work he's called us to do. This is good news, you guys. You may think you do not have what it takes. Perfect. 
He does have what it takes. And He's given us gifts. He's, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits. This is awesome. Jesus is the giver. And uh, it, it's, it's awesome because if, if He weren't the giver, we could get really proud or boastful. And that would be bad for us. That would destroy us if we became proud, right? Look at me. Look at all the awesome things that I can do, right? But He's the giver. It keeps us humble. So what did He give them authority to do? He gave them authority to conquer evil and to cure brokenness. This is what Jesus' kingdom is all about. Jesus' kingdom conquers evil and restores brokenness. This is the kind of work that we'll be about when we're on mission with Jesus. We could ask all kinds of complicated questions about, well, okay, Noel, so then do we still have authority to heal? Like, you know, I saw somebody heal, but that was kind of weird. Was Jesus still really doing that? You know, this is a debate in the church today, you guys. And do all of us have the gift of healing or just some of us? Maybe only, you know, certain people have been gifted with this particular charisma. And I don't know, right? I don't exactly have all the answers for you today. But here's what I do know. I do know that it, it, for sure some have these gifts today because we see and we read about miraculous things happening still to this day. So I know at the very least some of us do. And for the rest of us, I cannot find a reason not to pray in faith for these things to happen, right? So until Jesus comes back, we're going to assume that he would want to because that is God's heart for us, to see restoration. And we're going to pray with faith, big faith, big prayers. We're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to knock until God moves the way that we know is in his heart to move. So bottom line, don't ask the question, does the gift of healing still exist? Does the power to you know, perform miracles still exist? Is, is, are those gifts given to individuals today? Let's just assume that they do. Let's go after those things because it's in God's heart to do those things. We know that. But here's the other thing, right? While we're praying for healing, while we're praying for the miraculous to happen, right? Diseases completely obliterated. While we're, while we're praying these big prayers, let's remember that we all have gifts of grace. We all have a charisma with some kind of healing in it. Maybe you've got the charisma of encouragement. Isn't encouragement healing? Who here has been healed by an encouraging word? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like there's, some of you have the, the, uh, the charisma of service, right? You'll step into a situation and serve whoever's in need. It's not, it doesn't have to be fancy. That's a gift of grace, the gift of service, right? And some have the gift of teaching. Others of you, the gift of administration. There's all kinds of charismas, gifts of grace that have been passed around and distributed to his church. So that brings me to the last point, the last thing that we have, the last fuel source for mission, and that's community. Community. Did he send these people out by themselves? No, he gathered a group, right? That's the thing that we see in this last, uh, this last little chunk. Cooper, can you go back just a little bit to the slide with the passage on it, please? Two back, I think. <clears throat> Cooper? All right, she is not paying attention back there. She'll get scolded for that afterwards. Okay, just got in trouble in church. All right, the, I was going to read the passage, but the idea here is that um, there's groups that get sent out here, right? This isn't just one person that gets sent out. It's how many disciples? There's 12, right? There's 12 disciples. The net, forward one slide, please. So there's 12 disciples. Now, how many tribes were there in Israel, ancient Israel? 12, right? So the, this number is, like, meaningful. It, should, it, it probably was meant to remind the people that Jesus came to restore Israel. 
at this time in Israelite history, as Jesus is on the scene, the 12 tribes were not like, like in existence. There was like two or three tribes remaining. So they would have seen, oh, 12. They knew the, the Old Testament really well. This would have given them hope for what Jesus was about to do. So there is significance in that number 12. Um, but in a sense, what we're seeing here is the initial establishment of the church, right? At least in, in terms of infrastructure, we see the church later developed in the book of Acts, okay? So one of the things I want you to understand about these 12, they're not so much masters. Don't think of them as masters, but as servants. This is going to be played out, this idea in Matthew 23. We'll come to get to that. Their authority comes from one source. They are not the authority. Who's the authority? Jesus. He's given them authority. They have the authority that's been given. That's the only authority they have, is the authority that's been given to them. In Matthew 23, it actually refers to them as brothers and sisters with one master. Okay? So these are like, not like super like people. You get what I'm saying? I want, you to, I want you to get your minds around the idea that these people that Jesus chose were not chosen because of how awesome they were or how, like, even how gifted they were. He chose them, and then he gave them what they needed. They did not necessarily have what they needed. Um, now, some uh, get stuck on the idea of Peter's firstness. Peter is listed first, right? Uh, but we know Peter, and while Peter did some cool things in the Bible and is a person, great, you know, leader, did some really great things, Peter was first just as much in folly as he was in leadership, right? Peter, what did he do? He denied the Christ three times, right? After saying he would never do that, he went and did it. Peter, uh, he also, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tries to turn this into like a, a war, right? And goes and assaults the guy who's coming to arrest Jesus, right? And cuts off the guy's ear. You remember that story. So Peter is not this like miraculous superhero. Peter is a flawed man. He was first just in, as much in folly as he was in leadership. Uh, we should be thankful as we understand that God can use, God will use really flawed people. Again, lest you think that you don't have what it takes to be a worker in, in God's kingdom, uh, you do, right? Now, the other 12, a lot of the other 12, we know hardly anything about. Like Bartholomew, anyone ever written an essay about Bartholomew? Or how about Thaddeus? Anyone know anything about Thaddeus, right? We, there's not even flannel graphs with these guys' names on them, right? I mean, we don't know anything about a lot of these guys. And even like Peter, you know, he was, he was a fisherman. Jesus called him in, in chapter 4. Um, along with Andrew, James, and John. But we don't hear anything else about Andrew, James, and John, really. We don't know much about these guys' lives. We know a little bit about Matthew. He's the one we think wrote this, this book of Matthew, but he was the tax collector that Jesus uh, called in chapter 9. We just, uh, we just went over that story. And then, of course, we know about Judas, right? We know about Judas. What did Judas do? The worst thing ever. He betrayed Jesus, right? He sold Jesus to be killed, so this, this is not like a group of rock stars, you guys. This is a group of like mostly unknown, you know? And some are known, but even the most known, Peter, the most famous, perhaps the most gifted, or maybe the one who we would think had the most impact, he was first just as much in folly as he was in uh, faith. Psalms 25, 8 and 9 reminds me that Jesus, uh, uh, God instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. Let me say it again. He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. This is the group that Jesus chose to use. Look, I'm telling you, don't disqualify yourself as a worker. Jesus chose this group. He's chosen us. And we can do it. Why? Not because of what we have, but because of what he's given. He's given us 
gifts of grace. So Jesus does his mission through a community of very different individuals, you know, and um, it's kind of like the Uncle Sam. You, you remember the Uncle Sam propaganda posters? Uncle Sam wants you, right? Well, I'm here to say today that God wants you. He wants you on mission with him. The invitation is for us all. You can't hide in disqualification. He wants you. And guess what? Um, just like Uncle Sam wants you, I want you. And I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. This is the Christian life. Community. We can't be on mission alone. We need each other. Philip Yancey is known for saying this. Philip Yancey is a, a Christian author. He's known for saying this to new converts. Uh, warning them. Saying, listen. You cannot do this on your own. And this is the truth of what it means to follow Jesus, to be on mission with Jesus. You cannot do this on your own. This is one of the reasons that we, we have churches. Because we need each other. We need a community of faith to be on mission with. You can't do it on your own, and I can't do it on our own. We need the compassion of Jesus. We need to call out to God in prayer. We need to receive his charisma, his charismatic gifts, the gifts of grace that enable us to do his work. And we need to have a community of disciples to do it with. As we close today, I just want to extend like a, a very heartfelt invitation to you. And I don't know, like sometimes we show up to church as like people that just bought a ticket and take a seat. But I want to invite you on mission with Jesus. Again, I don't know your story. I don't know your qualifications, your disqualifications. I mean, I guess I know some of them. You know some of mine, perhaps. But what I'm here to say today is that Jesus calls us on mission to be these workers, and he gives us what we need to do the work that he's put before us to do. We should have confidence in that. It's actually quite beautiful. It's actually quite beautiful that God uses a bunch of, like, rags, a bunch of, like, messed up people, right, with, with a few good qualities, you have a few good qualities, but these are the people that God uses, and he wants to use you. He wants to use us. You know, we like to call ourselves a family on mission with God. That's one of the phrases we've been using, a family on mission with God, and I just, I want to invite you to be a part of that family. The invitation is for you to be a part of that family on mission with the Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and pray, uh, and uh, as I pray, I just, yeah, I, I guess I want you to um, search your hearts and just ask the Lord, like, where, 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 God, are you inviting me on a mission with you? Like, what things have you called me to? What gifts have you equipped me with to do your work? In what ways is the harvest around me really ripe for the picking? And what can I do to help be a gatherer? And then, uh, as usual, we're going to stand and respond in song. You can also come forward to receive from the, the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, but let's pray together uh, for workers to be sent. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, I thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. I thank you that you came to, uh, to touch us, to teach us, and also to touch us to uh, conquer evil and to cure brokenness of all types, Lord. And uh, God, I just, I pray this morning that you would really uh, come to our hearts on a, like individual, like case-by-case -case basis, Father, and call us 
to yourself. Call us and send us out into the streets, Lord, into our communities to be on mission with you, Father. I pray that you tune our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see with compassion, to feel for the people around us. Not just to hate sin, but to, to love sinners like you did, Jesus. Would you give us your heart? We need uh, a heart transplant this morning, Lord. We all need a heart transplant. We need new hearts. We need uh, hearts like your heart, Lord. Uh, it's going to take a miracle, though, Lord. Only, only you can change a man's heart, Father. And we need you to do that miracle work in our own hearts so that we can see people the way that you see them. So that will be, uh, will be spurred on toward mission the way that you are, Lord. Help us to see like you see, God. It's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.